What's up, guys? It's Cash. Just reminding you to head over to Justition and use our promo code REALTALK for 10% off your order. T-shirts, long sleeves, sweatpants, hoodies, hats, sticker packs, flags, you name it. The boys over at Justition have you locked down. That's using our code REALTALK for 10% off. And again, thanks for listening to us over here at The Real Talk. Gentlemen, welcome back to a very special edition of Real Talk. I am your host, Dami Hockey, Dami CNY, Dami Dollar Beers, Dami Everything. What up, what up? Uh, we got a wicked fun episode for you today, talking all things NHL, specifically the Montreal Canadiens. I'm sure a lot of you are going to love that, especially all the Canucks fans I'm friends with that are listening to this. Uh, first, let's kick it around to the crew. We got down on the island, Dewey Crocs. What up, bud? Yo, yo. What's going on, guys? Good to see you all. I have a few words to say about Barry and company, but we'll get to that in time. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, watching them is like taking a melatonin and going to bed. So how you doing? <laughs> um, we got Marissa out in uh, Massachusetts. What's going on, Marissa? Hi, guys. What's up? It's a lot to say for someone who hasn't been on in a while. I know. I don't really have a lot to say. There's not a lot going on. And there's nothing but good over in Boston that, land. No. No, no, no. We'll get to that later. If we, get, if we do get to it. We'll get to it. No, we're hitting everything. Uh, we got okay, bet. very, very special joining group here. Uh, Kanzi from Trainwreck Sports out in the 716. Kanzi, what up, Bo? Oh, not much, man. I'm riding a high. The Sabres are coming out of the basement. These guys are good. Scary good. <laughs> These guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm so excited right now to be a Sabres fan. Well, I – till. <laughs> Tomorrow, LOL Sabres. Um, and Kanzi's hooked us up with a great guest, the most accomplished man in the room, as far as I'm concerned, uh, from Locked On Canadians, Habs Eyes on the Prize. From, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the Habs are undefeated in regulation this year. So you must be pretty excited about that. We have Mr. Scott Matla. Scott, what's up? I'm, I'm, I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. And as for being undefeated in regulation, I don't trust anything good to happen after watching the Packers <laughs> blow it. Uh, in the NFC Championship game. So uh, all good things come to an end eventually. <laughs> no, we got a Packers fan, really? Oh, Tom. Oh, you, you have no idea, Dom. Going to school with Scott for as long as I did, all you knew out of, out of Scott's mouth was Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. That was it. There was nobody else besides those two. So we got a Packers. So Packers and have. Yeah, I mean, you just got a trophy case that's awfully full. I mean, jeez. <laughs> I mean, for the Packers and then for baseball, but hockey, they won a Stanley Cup when I was two and a half years old. So yeah. I, don't, I can't claim that one unless I'm having a really lowbrow argument in a bar somewhere, in which case then you throw it in their face. But, what, uh, Yankees fan? No. Oh, what do we got? I'm a Red Sox fan. Oh, yeah. thank God. Ooh. Let's go. Wow. Let's go, Sox. I forgot to prep you guys for that one. My bad. <laughs> no, I listen, I I'm a it. Mets fan, so I love that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go listen, Sox. It's, uh, listen, not the Sox on the timeline. I, uh, I, uh, you know, everything was going really good in the land of Stevie Cohen, and I wake up in the morning to 15 Twitter notifications that Jared Porter got fired, and I go, wow, things are back to normal, so this is good. <laughs> LOL Mets. Yeah, I mean, what, what, can, you, what can you do? Um, I got to tell you, and I said this, I'm going to have to find it because nobody is going to believe me, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the pod, but last year – Started the playoffs. I said, if there's one team to look out for, it was the Montreal Canadiens. And yep. 
if you guys hadn't made the moves at the deadline last year that you made, assuming you weren't going to make the playoffs, you guys were probably going to be an absolute wagon. And you still were. I got to tell you, in the division they're in right now, I don't see there's any reason why they can't finish top two, I want to say. Right? I don't know how you felt about that. The, that's kind of exactly my prediction is that they, they had that run in the playoffs where they upset the Penguins. They took the Flyers to six games and really probably could have won that series had they gotten a bounce or two to go their way. And then this offseason, they went out and they got Joel Edmondson. They got Carey Price, a legitimate backup. Yes. They uh, brought in Alexander Romanov from Russia. They um, uh, traded for Josh Anderson, who fits Claude Julian's system. And they got Tyler Toffoli for a, four years at a steal of a price. And he went out and had five points and two assists, or five goals and two assists in three games against the Canucks the week before. Everything Bergevin did in the offseason has started paying off already. And this team looks really dangerous, really deep across the board. And they haven't even gotten elite goaltending like we expected yet. Right. I've, I'm a goaltender guy, so I always have had a soft spot for the Canadians just because of Carey Price. And Jonesy, our, one of our other co-hosts who couldn't make it tonight, uh, is a Blues fan. So when they moved Allen, I mean, he was so mad, but I was so hyped because Price finally got some weight off his shoulders for once. I mean, it seemed like me as a Rangers fan kind of in the same boat. It didn't matter what the team looked like we had Henrik Lundqvist, you had Carey Price. Like, it didn't matter what the team looked like, you had Carey Price at the crease. So, like, you're always comfortable no matter what. Yeah, and adding Allen is we look at the list of backups since I've started following the team. You had Peter Budai, who's probably the last true good backup. Al Montoya ended up in the AHL and traded. Keith Kincaid ended up in the AHL and then basically kicked off the team. Um, you had Antti Niemi. You've had Mike Condon. You've had Charlie Lindgren. You have a bunch of maybes and now you have a proven 1b goaltender and it's good it should make all the difference in the world in a condensed schedule where you're playing two three nights in a row during a week now right it's scott that, that's kind of interesting you bring that up because you know in, in buffalo right now you know they're they're kind of hurting for a goaltender you know linus omar's played well but they have the goalie tandems that's become like a big thing in the nhl now is having goalie tandems do you think like claude julian is is very good right I mean it's still early on the season but do you think he's good at kind of you know matching those guys up or or do you think like it's still Carey Price's crease until further notice I think I guess what I'm getting at is goalie tandems do you see those being more effective as the season goes on uh I look at how the Boston Bruins have run their net where they had Tuka Rask and they had Yaroslav Halak and then on the island where they had Robin Leonard for a little bit and then they had uh Simeon Barlamov or Thomas Grice behind them Finding a quality backup goalie who can give you 30, 35 starts and takes the pressure off your starting goalie, even if it's a 1A, 1B thing, Mm -hmm. pays huge dividends. And now it's not so much matching up with teams. Jake Allen's going to play good teams. Carey Price is going to play bad teams. In a back-to-back situation, don't wait, you know, burn out your starting goalie when you're paying him $10.5 million a year and he has an injury history. Mm -hmm. And across the league, more and more teams are shifting that. We see it in Vegas now with Fleury and Robin Leonard now. Uh, Dallas did with Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin, and now Montreal's finally jumping on that train and having quality backup, elite starter, and then everyone kind of benefits from that. Allen's still going to start 20, 25 games a year minimum, and Price is still going to get the main part of the crease, and everybody wins. Yeah, that's a good point. Kind of off topic, but how fresh is Carey Price's red kit with the white uniforms? I mean, good Lord, Navin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't mention the red pads to anybody on Hab's Twitter. There is, they think they're cursed in that every time he wears them, he either gets hurt or they get blown out. 
People Ugh. think the pads are absolutely cursed. He's got Burn new him. ones that he's breaking in in practice right now, though, from True. And I'm sure those will make an appearance sooner or later. He goes burn them. I burn them. Dom, have you burn seen him. have you seen Scott interact with Montreal fans on Twitter? It's oh, it's brutal. No, it's it like and, and and Scott, this isn't this isn't me like calling out. This is me saying like Scott will literally post an article with facts in it, stats, shot charts, everything, and they'll go, no, I don't agree with that. And Scott's just like, hey, here's like my PowerPoint presentation on the Habs, and they'll be like, nope. Still don't believe it. And Scott just sits there on Twitter and he's just like, okay, I'm done. They're, like, they're some of the worst fans. Like, it's crazy. As as a Bruins fan, I can attest to that. Like, just having to have them in the same area as you is just, ugh. I have awful. a ranking. Uh, I have a power <laughs> ranking of fan bases I do not like to engage with on Twitter. And I'm sorry for the Canucks fans listening to this, but after they tried to dox me for posting a highlight, Vancouver is always going to be number one on the list. Um, and then it's going to be Montreal's right below that. Our, our own fan base is brutal. Um, Toronto fans, just because they cannot take a joke to save their life. So taking selfies. Canada. Yeah, they're taking selfies. <laughs> Edmonton and then Ottawa. It's it, Edmonton's nasty as well. The only Canadian fan base I don't have any issues with is Winnipeg somehow. But I um they I don't the, exist. It, well, <laughs> no, they they're playing pretty good hockey. Well, we can get into them, of course, after the move they just made. But I'm uh I love that you brought up Vancouver because obviously here in Utica I have the Comets, so like I, I am forced to interact with the Canucks fans, and they just like can't take no for an answer. It's the worst. Like I got into a rant about how Ole Ulevi is just not working out, and they just won't let it go. I mean, it's it's he's just he's a bust. It's over. I watched him play in Utica for a couple of years. Got his ass kicked by the Laval Rocket plenty of times, which I want to talk to you about. But it's just not like it's just not great. I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, I'm right there with you. I watched him play when he was in um, London because I went to go watch Victor Mate when he was there and uh, Jeremiah Addison and Mikhail Sergachev when they were playing for Windsor. I went to London. I didn't notice you Levy on the ice at all, and he was on their top pairing. But you notice Victor Mete, the guy who was drafted in the fourth round, not the first round. And then he kind of went to the – he went to Utica, and then he went back to Finland, and then he went back. And it's like anytime you're jumping that much through development systems or leagues or wherever, probably not the best sign. And now he's at the NHL level, and he got put on a poster alongside Tyler Myers last week against Montreal. And that's just – maybe there's something in the future, but I don't know if it's going to be with uh, Vancouver, unfortunately. I – um. As far as – I'll touch briefly on the Rocket just because I want to bring it up because now he's obviously with the big club. Um, I remember last year – this is before everything got shut down. I don't remember specifically, but I remember seeing in the news the transactions. They dropped Jasperi Kataniemi down, and I go, oh, that's good because we're playing Laval next game, and he put up four points. I mean, that's <laughs> – I go, that's good. And now and now he's obviously – he's working – like the kid's filling in great for – 20 years old. I mean, the kid's filling into the game. Great. That's development, Vancouver. Not what all you levy is. It was funny is that he got sent down to the AHL. He was having a real rough NHL sophomore season and the Habs went, what if we drop him down a level, give him some time in a league that doesn't play at the same pace and let him get his confidence back. And he just came out there and started putting up points immediately on the power play and even saying he had like 12 assists before he got his first goal of the year, which was into an empty net. And then he punctured his spleen and got shut down and then came back for the playoffs and was incredible after going back to Finland. It was a strange year that they actually did the right thing for once instead of forcing this kid, ah, play through it, play through it, play through it, play through it. 
No, go down a level. We'll be fine. This team sucks anyways at the NHL level. You're going to get top-line minutes, and the Rocket are in a power play rush, which – or um, postseason rush, I should say, and that obviously didn't matter. And it seems to have paid off in a big way. Joel Bouchard worked a lot of magic with him in the 14 games that he was there. Yeah, no, he was – He's, he skates great. So, like, you have that to work with right off the gate, which was fantastic. And he just looked like he was on a different level every time. Like, when I saw him play here, I was like, this kid is just on a whole different level. And then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure at the time, too, I want to say Kincaid was in the crease a little bit. One, I want to say he was in the AHL still. I can't remember. But I was like, this Laval team is just – I hate playing these guys. I can't stand them. They're like rats. They just show up and don't go away. It's the worst. It's funny is that Kincaid basically got loaned to Charlotte to like, okay, you go play there now because you're not working out well in the AHL level. And he wasn't. And they brought Michael McNiven up who had bounced between three ECHL teams at that time. And he went three Oh and Oh in his three starts and Caden Primo rebounded into form and the rocket are like, Oh yeah, we're really good at this. They traded Phil Verone and Riley Barber for Joseph Blandizi and Jacob Lucini. And somehow the team, got better after trading two AHL all-stars and it was they were such a strange team that they didn't have a lot of superstars or any that you would consider that but just made it work they were that hard work and effort team they had all the cliches that a coach is going to love in a post game I like that you bring up coach because one thing I feel again to touch in base into like with Carey Price is always kind of like a safety net for you is, is Claude Julian is and he, he he could almost you know he makes chicken salad out of chicken shit and the reason I bring up coaches is because Katz is so irritated with a guy he was calling a genius a week ago we had Mark Mowers <laughs> ex-NHL player on on the podcast and Katz he's calling Trotsy a genius and now now things have changed so I mean Katz if you want to touch base with me a little bit there that would be great uh I mean yeah our, I guess three years in in Trotz on the Islanders, and now we're going to start criticizing some coaching decisions. I mean, we got two young studs that are looking to get in the lineup, Kiefer Bellows and Oliver Wallstrom. Oliver Wallstrom was a first-round pick not too long ago. We went back-to-back. Noah Dobson, Oliver Wallstrom, 11 and 12. And Trotz has a history of, of course, favoring the veteran players, but there is no reason Leo Komarov should be dressing for an NHL team anymore. The kid – the not the kid, the guy took a horrible penalty late in the game, nine minutes to go for them to go on a five-minute penalty kill. Thank God they killed it. But then he gets rewarded with late-game minutes, and he makes a defensive error, and then it leads to a goal by Justin Schultz late in the game. I mean, it's an. Ex- I mean, I'll give credit, though. Like, Barry Trotz is great, and he has turned that there's franchise around along with Lou, uh, Lou Lemorel, Lou Lemoncello, Louis Vuitton, that guy. Um, but it's an excusable coaching decision and a playing decision on Leo Komarov's part. It's 50-50, but he wants to shake it up. He was pissed, and he even said, we're not playing like we were last year. These games are playoff mentality, and we're not there yet. And he goes, I am pissed. And hopefully he shakes it up, whether it's shaking up the first line, which is the only line getting offense for the Islanders. There's there's no scoring, and it's going to have to come in-house. And playing Ross Johnson and Leo Komarov is not helping at all. So, Barry, if you're listening, figure it out. If Barry Trotz was listening to this podcast, we wouldn't have this problem. I don't think I'd be doing it in my basement. You know what I mean? Well, like, pass, someone pass the info along because I don't make this, the decisions here. I just yell at them on TV and I'm getting tired of it. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get that out. But no, but, but really, that's, like, that's something I feel like, I don't know. I, Julian's one of those coaches where I feel like he, I don't know if he has the ability to just coach anybody or if he has a system, whether it's mentally or actually what he, 
expects out of the guys on the ice, but he seems to get everything out of them. Like at last resort, that team plays so hard. It's unbelievable. It's kind of funny is that people were frustrated last year that it's like, Oh, why is Nick cousins playing here? Why is Jordan wheel playing here? Why is it like, cause the team sucks right now. Like you're actively tanking right now, but also trying to play. And I look at it this year is that Claude Julian has a lineup that is just loaded top to bottom with pieces that if he's playing them, there's no real excuse for it. And that he has, I wrote an article on it is that Montreal has two top lines. Do you want to score goals or do you want to defend goals? You want to defend goals, you put Philip Deneau's line out there. You want to score goals, you put Nick Suzuki out there. You want to get some easier minutes against bottom pairing competition, you put Jesperi Kotkaniemi out there. You want to eat up some minutes in the defensive zone, you put Jake Evans out there. He learned from his playoff team there how who he can trust and where that synergy in the lineup is. And that whole thing that he doesn't play young guys, which is bullshit now. Alexander Romanov plays 20 minutes a night. Uh, Nick Suzuki is the second line center guaranteed. Kotkaniemi's getting power play time. Uh, he doesn't play Russians, which again is kind of nonsense. Romanov again plays 20 minutes a night. That time in the bubble and the off season, I think gave them such a huge opportunity to look back and see, this is where we went wrong. This is what we can do better. And they revamped the system. They have players in there that buy in. Josh Anderson fits a Claude Julian system more than Max Domi fits a Claude Julian system. And that makes a huge amount of difference right now is that the players in the system fit what they're looking for. And there's a team buy-in for that. Now it's not individuals. It's a team effort across the board. Yeah. I mean, this team is, I mean, they're brutal. It's, it's, it, really, it really is. I mean, and it's going to break Marissa's heart to say it because she's a Bruins fan, but I, I do have something to say about this. And I do as a rival, I hate it, but I also love it because I love good hockey. This team that you guys have in Montreal gives me 2011 Bruins vibes. And it's terrifying, <laughs> terrifying. If I had to play Montreal like tomorrow, I, I would be like biting my nails. I would be pacing back and forth the entire time screaming because my house gets loud and it's just me and my dad yelling at the TV. I, I don't think I would be okay watching this game. There would be plenty of Twitter feed stuff going on. Like I don't think I would be mentally stable. They scare me. That is one team that souped up in the off season and they're doing it right it's very clear how far they're going to go. I'm really glad you mentioned the 2011 Bruins because over the summer, we looked at all the moves getting made for the season. And I looked at this and I went, let's see, Josh Anderson is this, Ben Sherrod is this, Joel Edmonds is this. And I went, holy shit, they're remaking the 2011 Bruins, which won <laughs> yes! the Stanley Cup. They which, are. And it makes Bruins fans mad and it makes Habs fans mad, even though I'm technically correct. So it's the You're best thing ever. So it's, it's the best, but it's the worst. Like, if, if it happens, I'll be like, okay, I'll give it to you. But, like, damn, you didn't have to hit us that hard. It, it's oh, fuck, very, you already it's, have our old coach. It's so scary looking at it that it's like they got the big, mean defensive core. They got the offensive talent with younger guys coming up, you know, filling in the roles of Brad Marchand and uh, David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron coming up through the system. And then they just combine it into this mess that works. They're nasty. They do take a lot of penalties, but they get the job done and it's miserable to play against them. You yeah. might win, but you're going to leave with some bumps, bruises, and scrapes. You're not getting out of there without getting banged up first. Absolutely not. And that's like the best kind of hockey that I loved watching. 
and, it's and that, terrifying. But that's what I like about Montreal. Like as a Sabres fan, like I should be like, hey, like Scott, I always tell you like, oh, playing the Habs again. Hey, by the way, there's a guy sitting next to me who I really don't like here. Like I'll, I'll message you on Twitter. He'll be like, well, I'm in like, Scott's always sitting like somewhere on the other side, rooting for his team or whatever. And I'm wherever, but uh, like Bergevin, like he doesn't give a shit. Like that's what I love about him. He might be the most, like the funniest GM ever. So like Sebastian Aho, he's like, you know, they just offer sheets him and, and like Carolina's like, okay, well we'll pay him wherever. And Bergevin's like, ha ha. Like now you got to overpay for him, which you know he's a great player. It's just, I love the way that he operates. People say that's the worst decision ever. And he's just like, Hey, I'm the hockey guy. I'm the hockey mind. I'm going to run this damn team. And I feel like Montreal has gotten to where it's at because of him. And I think there's a lot of people that like, don't like him, but like, I kind of wish that he was the Sabres GM in a sense. No knock on Kevin Adams, but like Kevin just, Adams like, ain't doing it for you. No, no, it's just I want to. I want a GM that's like I don't give a shit what that guy thinks. I'm gonna make this deal and do this because, well, I'm just. I would like a new I'm GM. Bergman. Well, yeah, like, just, it, it seems to me just doesn't give a shit, and I love it. That's what well, I'm getting at. That's what I like because I complain about this all the time about GMs not doing that, and yeah. I'm pretty sure I you, you would know more than I I would, but I don't want to name any names because I know I'm gonna screw it up. But correct me if I'm wrong. He's had like his eye on guy. It's like almost like he always gets his way in the end. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. he, the, the Habs will like kind of be rumored to looking at somebody a couple years ago and then nothing. Right. And then boom, he's a Canadian. Like what is what happening? happening? <laughs> Sooner or later, Mark Bergevin gets his guy. He was apparently interested in Tyler Toffoli ahead of time. He was interested in Josh Anderson ahead of time. The interest in Patrick Laine and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I went, okay, so I'm going to mark this about three years in advance. On <laughs> going to get someone in there at some point. He's going to get him. <laughs> he's going to get him at some point. And the thing is, Two or three years ago, people would have called for Bergevin to be, like, executed in the streets. He was terrible. He was losing yeah. trades. The team was losing. People were getting overpaid, and the team just wasn't good. They had lost the Subban for Weber trade initially, and that's paid off down the road here now. But he's taken everything. He's learned, and he's actually stood on his own. He's not getting advice. He had Rick Dudley there for a while and Scott Mellenby there for a while, and now it's him and Trevor Timmons, and you can see – Timmons having his hand in drafting and looking at prospects and Bergevin knowing his way around the hockey world. And he's building the team. They have their vision around now. It's not okay. One at a time, one at a time. He went out and got Jeff Petrie from the Oilers for as the SB nation uh, Oilers blog called it a second round pick and the gum on the bottom of his shoe. And he turned into a top three defenseman on this team immediately. He went out and got Thomas Vanek for cheap. He went out and got all these pieces He's learned so much, and now there, his mantra was no excuses for the longest time. He's got the players in there. He's got his coach. He's got the right guys. He's got the buy-in. This is it now. He stopped straddling the fence between, okay, but I don't want to trade everyone, but I don't want to blow it up either. He finally leaned into, we're going to go for it. We're at the cap ceiling. We got all these veterans. Screw it. Let's do it. You know, we're going full Leroy Jenkins on this shit this year. Sweeney, take notes. Let's go. My GM no. needs to take notes. It's no, it's hilarious you say that too because you Petrie's what second on the team in points now, and then ahead of him you got Tyler Toffoli, who all the Vancouver fans again, if they haven't turned the podcast off yet, are rolling in their graves because they don't want to hear about this about how oh they stole Tyler Toffoli from us even though he played ten games with them. I mean, what a move that worked out. Big time for you guys. Holy Jesus. We were sitting around after the whole Taylor Hall signing thing. And I remember losing my mind. Taylor Hall signed in Buffalo. And I went, 
well, what the hell has he done this offseason? Josh Anderson scored one goal last year. Joel Edmondson might be a fifth defenseman. And I'm just losing my mind over this. And then Tyler Toffoli signs the next morning for $4.2 million. And I go, okay, well, now when I look at it like this, oh, holy shit, this team's got depth <laughs> down the wings, down the middle, on defense. One little move makes all the difference. He leads the team with eight points in six games. Petrie has seven points in six games. Like, something clicked in the point there that it's like they're missing that one piece, and Toffoli was that piece. They've missed out it on the pass. They missed it in Ajo. They missed it in Tavares. They missed it with Eric Carlson. They missed it with Taylor Hall and then got the next best option anyways this year. They saved their money, and they waited. They didn't offer shit anyone this year, and then they found that guy. Whether he was going to go back to Vancouver or not is – irrelevant to this he did what he needed to do and Tyler Toffoli was that guy this year Formioli Formioli the Habs got Tyler Toffoli I loved it I loved it it was good like no like you don't understand like Tyler Toffoli can shoot like yeah he's sick dude he's sick oh my god like uh so so Scott uh you know Trainwreck Sports has a podcast two goalies one Mike shout out Dwayne um and they have a goaltender on there Johnny Cullen Johnny Cullen went against um Tyler Toffoli and there's a picture of Toffoli with his like stick in the air waiting for the puck and Coley's looking off in the other direction it was like a one-timer just zing right in the net and and I'm I, if mistake me if I'm wrong I don't know if you guys have heard the uh, correct me if I'm wrong if you heard the podcast but Coley talks about like just how incredibly skilled Toffoli is so I'm mad that the Habs have him but I love watching him play dude he he's a lot of people didn't realize how great he was because yeah. he's been in Los Angeles for so long like yeah they had a couple good teams won a couple cups but for the most part, unfortunately, the West Coast, they, they don't get the type of shine that the rest of the league does. So people that they see this Tyler Toffoli kid and people are like, holy shit, who's this kid? He's like, well, he's been in the league for like 10 years. So, I mean, I don't know. I remember when he was a rookie, too, when he came in. He had like yeah. that one second. There was one second left on the clock, and he just launched it top corns. I forgot where they were playing, but it was incredible. Ruins. Oh, it was the playing. Bruins. <laughs> it was the Bruins. Right off the <laughs> face-off. Like, of course. Oh, my God. Yeah. Of course. It, Love he it. Did so many little things too. Like we watched him in the first couple of games, like he had an assist or two. And then we're like, well, when do the goals come? When do the goals come? And then against Vancouver, he has this knack for just finding soft spots in the ice and then the pucks in the net, whether that's Vancouver's defensive, defensive deficiencies or what to was in the right spots. He's scoring shorthanded goals, he's scoring power play goals, he's scoring goals at even strength. He was everywhere the coverage allowed him to be, and he made the most of it. He was getting mad that he's swearing after every time he missed a shot because of how often he was scoring in that series. I love that, though. That's one thing I love about him and why I was so hyped. Because, like, I've been bashing them a little bit, but, like, I have a bias towards Vancouver just because of the comments. You know what I mean? It's just how it works. You know what I mean? And I was so hyped when they got him because I knew, one, how talented he is, but, two, he's such a passionate player that – when all else fails, like he's at least playing his ass off. So I was like, oh, this is a great move for them. But unfortunately, I was like, I don't know what they're going to do next year because Benning has put himself in the, just the worst financial position possible. I mean, you got Alex Edler's making the same amount of money as Matt Barzell. I mean, it's insane. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. Well, I mean, you're telling me that Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle <laughs> and Brandon Sutter aren't worth $3.5 million a year for four years? That, that's, that's lunacy. Uh, yeah, you're kidding me, right? Oh, uh, it's brutal. It's, dude, it's brutal. I don't even know. Um, but, but speaking of Habs and Bruins, Scott, the one thing that jogged my memory here, I saw in your Twitter feed you, or in Facebook, you've been kind of sharing some things. You covered the, uh, the outdoor uh, Bruins-Habs game. What was it, three years ago, oh, four years ago? I was there. You were there? I was there. <laughs> 
That would have been that was 20, brutal. 17? It was 2015. 2017? 20, 2015, it was at um, uh, Gillette Stadium. It was very cold, and I got very sick. I, I remember that because it was my first major event I'd ever covered as a reporter, and I regret that I didn't know what I know now. Because I went there and I'm like, well, well, do I talk to do I talk to this guy? Like, what do I do? Do I just kind of blend into the background? I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Oh boy! And that was in one of those seasons where Montreal was terrible because Carey Price got hurt and Michel Therrien couldn't know his head from his ass if he tried. <laughs> and somehow in that game, it was Mike Condon, Massachusetts native, stonewalling the Bruins over three periods in front of seventy thousand fans and. <laughs> I, I will never forget that game because it was it one. I always wanted to go to an outdoor game in the first place. And I always wanted to do a Habs Bruins game. And I got two at once. That's one of those moments that kind of sticks out where I wish I could go back and relive that because it was gorgeous scene, gorgeous game down on the ice and everything. And then just so much happening. There was, I mean, you have the Habs Bruins rivalry, even if the Habs are terrible, Habs Bruins is you throw everything out the window because you never know what's going to happen. The Bruins could be terrible. The Habs could be terrible. They both could be terrible. They both could be the best teams in the NHL. You just throw it out the window when those two teams play, let alone in the winter classic in front of every single person in the world. And it was once in a lifetime kind of stuff, honestly. It's a long day. Yeah, it's a long day. I got there at like 10 o'clock and started drinking in the parking lot. I'm so bummed our outdoor game got canceled for the comments. I'm so mad dude oh my god i would but, be yeah but we'll do it next year hopefully um there's one guy i wanted to ask you about in particular to see what your opinion is and i hate to bring him up because he's one of my least favorite players of all time but he's obviously making his presence known and i have to bring him up so the sad. worm how do you <laughs> feel about the worm for those of you at home who don't know who that is, I'm going to refer to him as a name that I hate. This is part of why I don't even like him. When he was in Anaheim and he was leading the league in points and people were calling him Scory Perry. Oh, oh God, just the worst <laughs> name of all time. But he's playing his ass off out there for a guy who's on waivers. You know what I mean? He's playing his ass off and he's filling in great. And I got to feel like maybe you, cause you obviously watch the team more than I do. I've watched him quite a bit. Cause I have NHL TV. Like I watch all the Habs games, but he's got to be good at least to help these young guys kind of develop, no? So flashing back, there was a rumor from one of the uh, the French language rumor sites. It's like, oh, Montreal's interesting, Corey Perry. And I went, we don't have enough disinfectant in the city <laughs> to do anything about this right now. 20 minutes later, oh, Montreal's agreed to one-year terms with Corey Perry. And I went, son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> come on. And, and I looked at it and I went, okay, he's an asshole. He's a cheap shot artist. He is our asshole and our cheap shot artist now. And he's brought in there. He's at $750,000. And he even said, he's like, I picked here because I know, I believe in what this team can do and what, and they are here to win. And I want to win. I assume he had offers from other teams and he picked Montreal for that situation. He knew he was going to be a taxi squad bottom six guy. And he's getting his chance now because Tyler Myers concussed Yoel Armia. And now Corey Perry steps in, scored in his first game didn't do anything suspendable and is there to be a veteran presence. He's on a line with Toffoli and with Kotkaniemi, which now conflicts uh, Western fans in California who have to watch Tyler Toffoli and Corey Perry play on the same line now, but he's there. Like you said, he's there to help teach these kids things. He's good in front of the net still. And at worst, I said this on our own show is he's going to draw people's attention because eventually they're just going to want to murder him. And they're going to be too busy with that <laughs> to actually defend around the net. So I'm very, 
excited to see what he can do longer term. We don't know how long Armia is out, but Perry's taking his spot on that third line now. He did real well in his first game against the Canucks, and now they've got to play the Flames coming up here this week, which is a test. And Matthew Kachuk and Corey Perry in the same building for several games in a row. Uh, stupid cannon will happen, guaranteed. I, dude, I, I that matchup that you just brought up is so good. I just to kind of shy away from that for a second though, but I love that line. That line is awesome because Katsuniemi's coming up right and. Tofoli's kind of just a stud and then Pears has done it like they, they got you got the best of all different types of like almost generations on one line and the fact that he's done what he's done he's proven himself like whatever you think about Corey Perry he's he's a great player like he's had a fantastic career he he's a, a trash monkey kind of like you brought up a little bit but he is a great player so for him to just kind of swallow his pride and say you know what Give me what you're going to give me. I like where this team's going. Let's make it happen. I, I have, for all the respect I've lost for him over the years, that gives me some back. It's funny watching him out there because it's like, okay, on the third line, you could have Corey Perry or you could have Arturi Lekkinen or you could have Paul Byron. And in years past, this was, well, I hope this AHL guy is ready. I hope this AHL guy is ready. I hope this AHL guy is ready. Right. And now it's, Oh, what if we just take the guy with a thousand NHL games and, you know, a Rocket Richard trophy and a Stanley Cup ring and put him on our third line? And if not him, what if we put Michael Froelich, who's got a Stanley Cup ring, and put him on our fourth line? They have that option now this year. And Corey Perry's depth is probably unmatched in the NHL. I don't know a lot of teams that have Corey Perry level players sitting on their taxi squad that aren't AHL or fringe prospects who aren't playing in the OHL or somewhere else yet. It, it's an advantage that Montreal has. Mark Bergman went out there. He, they're cheap. So people are like, oh, well, what's the big deal on this? It's like, well, it's meant to be. They're under the cap now, so they can have flexibility this year with that. Injuries come up. They're going to in a season like this. Now you're relying on veteran guy who can do this versus a bunch of question marks in the mystery box. You're getting Corey Perry. I, yeah, he's 35 years old, but you're still getting everything that's up here after 15 years in the NHL. Right. Yeah. He, he, all else fails is he can open up some space for Tyler Toffoli. You know what I mean? Like just be just an absolute piece of garbage up front. And then, cause you still have everybody else on your team that causes problems. I mean, Galley and, and Weber are such a problem to deal with all the time. I mean, it's just, it's a consistent nonstop flow of let's give our skill guys a little more space on the ice. And now this team is really dangerous. Like you had for the last couple of years, it seemed like, Everybody in Montreal was just like playing Montreal sucked because they were going to beat you into the ice. Not even just like as a hockey like game goes, but just literally physically. But now they're going to score goals and now they're going to have this great goaltending. It's like, oh, dude, I don't want to play Montreal even a little bit. <laughs> no, it, it, it's brutal because Gallagher used to be the only guy who could cause net front issues. Andrew Shaw was there for a little bit. And then now all of a sudden you have Gallagher on one line and then you have on the second line, you have Josh Anderson, then you have Perry or Armia. And then on the third line, you have Lekkanen or Evans or whomever. And then on defense, it's Weber and Sherratt and Edmondson and Romanov. And it's like, pick your poison. It's going to be miserable for you one way or the other. You can pick and choose which level of miserable you're going to get, but it's still going to be miserable in some way, shape or form. Well, As did we just become a, a Habs podcast? <laughs> we might have. I think I, so. I was just going to say, like, Michael Froelich, like, 
at the time the Sabres acquired Michael Froelich, just because of like the climate of the organization and Jason Botterill, just with the Ryan O'Reilly trade, that whole thing, everyone just hated Botterill. Like when they got Michael Froelich, I was like, oh, great. Like we finally have like a decent penalty killer. Like he's a really good penalty killer. But when you bring him to a team that's struggling, everyone's like, oh, this guy sucks. Like what a terrible acquisition. But for Montreal, he's a really good penalty killer. And he's a guy that you can interchange in your lineup, which makes him even more dangerous. Because they, they can afford to have guys like Michael Furley come to that team. Or a guy, like you said, Dominic, a guy like Corey Perry, and, and Scott, you said this too, that just you plug and play these guys and they're effective. So when Furley signed in Montreal, I'm like, oh, geez, like that team's going to be really good on special teams. It, it's incredible just what they've built and where they're going and how they can just plug and play yeah, players. He's, I mean. Correct me. He's at he's 752, right? So you got yeah, him on a steal anyway. I mean, yeah. dude. What is happening? Yeah, is Montreal like, coming back? It's, it's, like, it's, it's almost like Bergman's sitting there with a middle finger to everyone. Like, ha, 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 we're going to win it all. It I is. love it. I love it. It's great. You know, so. he's, he's getting these guys that on other teams, maybe they're going to be punching above their pay grade in terms of where they're playing in the lineup. And then when you plug them into the right spot, it just clicks. Like right. Nick Cousins was playing in the top six in Montreal, which did not work. And then he went to Vegas. He's playing – bottom six fourth line minutes and suddenly it's working for him Mm -hmm. it's all about finding that fit and perry as a taxi squad fill-in guy right now at his age is working michael froley hasn't even played a game yet but when he does it's gonna be a fourth line guy they'll move lekin or byron up because they've played up in the lineup and they work there and it's gonna be fine it's all about finding that kind of balance between where you need someone to play and i know we were talking about uh wallstrom and um kiefer bellows Barry Trotz has to find the right spot for them in the lineup because I know what Wallstrom can do. I know what Bellows can do. I watched Bellows do it at the World Juniors tournament a couple of years ago. He's capable of it. Find that spot for him. If it means you got to drop a veteran down the lineup, eventually you have to do that. It's not going to be easy, but if it helps your team win, guess what? You make that sacrifice for it. Right. He's got Barry's got to start blooding up the lines a little bit. I mean, I understand like the Capitals had a depleted team last night. They have no Ovechkin. No Samsonov, no Orlov. They lost Backstrom. They lost Lars Eller in the middle of the game. No Kuznetsov. So he went with that safe lineup with a few veteran guys, like like I mentioned earlier, Komarov and Johnson, just to fill in those roles. But you got to give the kids a shot here. I mean, with the shortened season, like I think that's what it's all about with all these teams here is to see what these young prospects that all these teams have to get a shot and play. Exactly. Is Eventually, you have to swallow your pride. You, they're going to help. The issue for Montreal was they didn't have young guys to play for the longest time because their AHL development was, to put it the most, um, I guess, professional way, it was a shit show. Um, There was nobody coming up, and you were just grabbing whoever was on the top line and throwing them out there. And if it didn't work, oh, well, I guess we'll go overpay in free agency now. And it's a different different story around the NHL now. You see teams like Toronto that have ECHL team, AHL team, and they're working that development ladder up. More and more teams are opting for that to get their prospects ice time and actually get them in the spot they need to be in. You don't want a guy who's not ready for the AHL trying to play first line AHL minutes, just like you don't want a guy in the NHL who's not ready for it yet because then you stunt their uh, prospect growth. More and more teams are figuring that out, some faster than others, and then it all will click at some point, assuming you have a competent GM in charge of the team. (laughs) Right. You guys got a lot of fun young players too, even coming up. I mean, I love your draft pick this year, Cole Caulfield. I mean, Jesus. That That's two years ago. Or was it two years ago? Whatever. I, I can't yeah, remember which two one. Years ago. Is it two years ago? Yeah. Either way. I mean, you guys got such great youth coming up. Is there somebody for you in particular, whether they're on the team right now 
or their taxi squad AHL kind of guy. Is there somebody in particular that stands out, like who's really going to benefit this team future wise, who like somebody who's not a Habs fan wouldn't really think of? Well, like you said, uh, Cole Caulfield is, he's the, he's the prize in the prospect pool right now. 72 goals for the U.S. development team, and he's lighting it up. Uh, Hobie Baker, potential nominee this year at Wisconsin, and Wisconsin's a very flawed team across the board. But uh, there are two players that I, I've mentioned to Habs fans a lot that are in the NCAA system, and that's Jordan Harris and Jaden Struble playing at Northeastern. Harris plays this calm, composed, no-frills kind of regular style. You wouldn't notice him on the ice until you see his name on the score sheet. Uh, Jaden Struble plays like a young PK Subban. He wants to be in the play. He's aggressive. He's physical. He loves getting in the mix with everything. He's someone that I think Claude Julien's really going to enjoy because he plays an aggressive, mean style. And the other one uh, over in Europe, uh, Matthias Norlinder playing for Frölunda in the SHL. He's injured right now, but he's that next big European prospect. Now that Romanov's over here, everyone's eyes are on him, seeing what they can do. A trio of big defensive prospects, and that's not even counting Caden Gooley, who was their first-round pick this year. Their defense for when Weber, Petrie, and Sherratt eventually move on, they have replacements right in the system already working their way up and should be in the pros in the next two to three years tops. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I think is is so exciting for Montreal, especially now, is the fact that they actually have some youth that's kind of spiring into this whole system where, again, like we talked about earlier, they'll just kind of buy in. And it's... I don't know. It's, it's interesting the way that everything's going to kind of shake out where hopefully you guys get it on track. Like while price still has some left in the tank is like, even as like, that was my biggest regret, not regret. I shouldn't say regret, but my biggest issue not having Lundqvist be a ranger anymore is we couldn't get him that cup. And I would love to see Carey price, get that cup. Like I want it more than anything I can explain. And I'm not even a Habs fan. I, I don't, I just, I want him to win so bad because he deserves it. And I've watched this guy stand on his head on the other side of the, or like on the other side of the ice from like Lundqvist or whoever in the playoffs for so many years, just to try to bail his team out in so many situations. And now like, they're like teetering on the edge. We're like, this could really happen. Like Carey Price might really win a cup. Like he really might win a cup. Let me ask the four of you a question. When he retires and all is said and done, as it stands right now, do you think Carey Price should have his number retired in Montreal? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially that shouldn't with be a question. Like, I feel like when he signed that contract, everyone's like, oh, here we go. But, like, he's been a staple for that franchise for so long. I feel like you have to, you know? It's, like, I... disrespectful if you don't. I was going to say, what if I told you this is an ongoing debate because every Habs fan looks at this and goes, well, he doesn't have a Stanley Cup. Well, then, who cares? At... No! I, that's exactly my point. Cause you look at the names in the rafters and they go one Stanley cup, four Stanley cups, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, yes, different era. Now though, you have a guy who won a year He won literally every award that he could possibly be nominated for. He's the franchise leader in wins. He's gaining on the shutout thing. He has all these things. If a Stanley cup is the only thing stops stopping him from getting his number retired, we need to reassess because no Canadian teams want to Stanley cup in over in almost 20 years, 30 years now. Like, <laughs> reassess your priorities on this because we talked about it with other players too. Eventually they talked about it with Saku Koivu. Well, he never won a cup here. Yeah. Well, so did a lot of other freaking players. Guess what? It, it, it's an ongoing debate with Habs fans. I personally think when all said and done, yeah, you got to put his number in the rafters. The guy was the franchise for a decade plus. Like you can't, you can't do him like that whenever his time comes. 
He is no. the face of the franchise. I'll go you, up to the Bell Center and do it myself for here's, them. The, here's here's mm-hmm. the thing, though, that, that you bring up that reminds me, and, and not to bring up football, but as a Bills fan, that aggravates me still. <laughs> I love Jim Kelly, Andre Reid, Thurman Thomas, and I love Bruce Smith. And I'll love them no matter what. But at what point do you stop reaching into the past with these players? Like, I think you have to move on and you have to start breaking these players up by generation or by, like, every decade because – when you think Habs, you think Carey Price. You really do. Right. Like, when Subban was there, sure, fine. But Patch when, Reddy. when you, Yes, Patch Reddy too. But when you tell me who's your favorite Habs player, I would say Carey Price because that's probably, without talking to Scott, probably the only player that I could rattle off off the top of my head. Carey Price. I mean, that guy's number should be retired just solely based on that. He's a household name across the world. Yeah, yeah, if you, you look at his career numbers and, not, and the, the argument of the Stanley Cup, as you mentioned, like the last time a Canadian team won a Stanley Cup was the Canadians anyway, correct? In 1993. Yes. So we're talking legitimately. And the amount of things that have changed in the league since then is absolutely insane for one. But two, I mean, what else besides the cup? What else can the guy do? I mean, legitimately, his numbers, I can't even sit here and list off anything because it would take me too long. It's insane. The guy's had an absolutely bananas. If you ask me, a guy whose favorite player is Henrik Lundqvist, a guy, I have his jersey upstairs. I have like three of his shirts. I All-time favorite player. Carey Price, without question, is arguably, in my opinion, one of the best goaltenders of the generation, if not ever. And it's, I don't, to even ask that question is absurd to me personally. The biggest issue is you have the fan base that grew up watching the end of the Rocket and Jean Beliveau and the start of the 60s and 70s dynasties. You had the players who watched in the 80s and early 90s, the last Stanley Cups, the early days and ending days of Patrick Waugh. Then you had the people who grew up in the dark era where it was Saku Koivu and his band of Merry Misfits. And now you have the new generation of all these players coming up in the 2000s and 2010s. There's such a divide across the fan base that it's like, well, I used to – we used to wake up and the Canadians would win the Stanley cup that year, like clockwork. And if they didn't, it was an issue. And then they fired everybody. (laughs) There's such a divide in the fan base based on that. And I'm like, I love history. Obviously I love looking back at some of the teams from the seventies and in the sixties, because they were so good and seeing some of the names that are on there. And it's just hall of famer, hall of famer, hall of famer, hall of famer, hall of famer. Oh, that guy wasn't, but he also led the league in this and hall of famer, hall of famer. But it's such a different game now that we need to kind of look at, modern era, Carey Price is the franchise for the modern era. After Patrick Waugh left, we had good goalies, Jose Teodor and uh, Yaro Halak while he was here. And then you have great goalies and Carey Price is a great goalie. You have great players. Eventually you have to do what's right by that. And that includes, you got to let go of this. Well, he didn't win a Stanley cup. You know who else didn't win a Stanley cup? A lot of other freaking teams that doesn't stop them from doing it. Like, I mean, Toronto Maple Leafs are like a perfect example too of like, they want to well, the, we're, when when Longquist is done, they're going to put his numbers in the rafters probably before he's even officially done saying the words "I'm retiring from hockey." You know what I'm saying? It's like, and it, this is not a knock on the Habs. I swear to God, I'm not talking trash about the Canadians when I say this. But a lot of their cups came when like the league was half the size of what it is right now. So. I kind of feel like we can roll this into a question because we're going to get towards something that Kanzi wanted to ask anyway. But as being someone who covers the Canadians, this is something that drives me nuts in the NHL and hockey right now is like, there's this like old boys club of always doing the same thing, the same way, like never changing anything. And being the Canadians 
being the team that they are. Is that something that drives you crazy being like someone who covers this team or is it kind of something you just kind of shake off and deal with it and just assume that all hockey teams have this fan base? It's not just the Canadians. Cause I, I do love prospects and I love the drafts and everything. The worst thing I think that continues to happen is, well, he could be this person. Well, why does he have to be, why does this person draft have to be Patrice Bergeron or Sasha Barkov or Jonathan Huberto? Why can't he be who he is? Why does he have to live up to being somebody else? Why does Carey Price have to be Ken Dryden? Like you said, it's a 32-team league, not a 16-team league, not a 16-team league. Like when George Vesna was in net, it is a different league. They, don't, they shouldn't have to continue to live up to somebody else's um, preconceived notions of who they are. Carey Price is Carey Price. He's beaten Patrick Waugh's records everywhere. He's Carey Price. He doesn't need to be the next Patrick Waugh. He's done everything he can. He can't score goals. He can't, you know, defend slap shot. I guess it, we're getting technical with it, but he can't score goals. He can't coach the team. He has his job, and he's done that for so many years. You can't put the failures of a team sport on just the goalie when he's done everything across that. And it's just a lazy narrative to me is that stop covering it like it's the team from the 70s or the 80s or whatever. These Montreal Canadiens are not last year's Montreal's Canadiens are not the previous decades Montreal Canadiens. They are this team. Cover them like this team. They are the Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, Brendan Gallagher, Philip Deneau, Nick Suzuki Habs. They are not the Thomas Buchanitz, Max Pacioretty Habs. They are not the Saku Koivu, Alex Kovalev Habs, et cetera, et cetera. Right. No, I, I completely, I just, I guess I never thought of it because I'm not like in the fan base, but the fact that this is even a conversation is absolutely bananas. Like I'm actually stunned. I almost have a hard time saying anything about this. I mean, if, if the Florida Panthers can retire Roberto Luongo's <laughs> number one in the Raptors when Luongo only had a Jennings trophy back in 2011 when they lost to the Bruins, I'm pretty sure that Marshall Canadians can put Carey Price's number in Raptors too. I hope they do. Good Lord. Oh. It's, and it's crazy to think, like, when you look back, and I mean, I have to think about this. I might even have to text Dwayne about this. But, like, if you look up in the rafters at Key Bank Center, it's really only the French connection and I think, like, Dominic Hasek. Like, like, no, like, think about that for a second. Like, you want to talk about, like, Habs fans being that way? Like, I could rattle off a lot of players back then that were very influential to the Sabres, like, path. Like, Rob Ray's number's not even retired. And Razor was, like – the guy, like the Ty Domi fights. Like, I think about that too. Like, geez, we only have four guys that we put up in the rafters. I understand Dominic Ashick should be up there, but there's a lot of other guys that could be considered. Uh, it's incredible. I, 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 you know, whoever's making that decision should really be scared that Ray doesn't get pissed off about that, by the way. <laughs> Ray doesn't know where he is. Did you, by the way, did you guys see the broad? You saw the broadcast the other night. Rob Ray is getting so tired of the Sabres and what they're doing and their up and down roller coaster. His three keys of the game are shoot shoot more, shoot hard. Those were his three keys of the game. And on Sabres Twitter's going, get this guy out of here. He's terrible. He's drunk. Tell him to go home. He's, dr he's drunk. You're going to tell Rob Ray, Sabres legend, who literally went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ty Domi his whole career and like, has like a 50 – I don't even know like what his record is. You're going to tell him to get off the air? Come on. The guy who's got my favorite hockey picture of all time, the picture of him hanging over the glass with the bloody knuckles, smiling. Yep. Oh, yep. man, it's the best picture of all time. That's fine. That's fine. But, yeah, so I don't know. I just – hockey's weird now. But And, Scott, like, that's the thing. We, we were talking a little bit before the show, you know, about hockey analytics, shot charts, you know, these high-quality chance stats. I mean, do you ever write an article and just go, 
this is just too analytical heavy or do you ever look at it and go, geez, I don't, geez, I don't even know what I'm looking at right now. Yes and no, in that I try to make it as simple as I can through things. I love using natural stat trick because everything is broken down into columns and you can sort it by raw count. So they had this many shot attempts and this many against. They allowed this many high danger chances, and it's very easy to cite that. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying something like Corsi Ford, you can say shot attempts or mm -hmm. shot share or something similar to make it a little bit more easy to digest going forward. And at the same time, you want to balance that with uh, – I can post a chart with all these different player names in different spots. It's all about how you present that information to people is I love hockeyviz.com. Micah does a lot of good work to help show like he has shot maps that if it's red, that's usually bad. If it's in the defensive zone or good in the offensive zone to help you see a player's impact on the ice or impact with a certain person and without another person. And then you can put those charts in there. I could post an article with 30 charts in there, but if you don't know what any of them mean, no one gives a shit. It's just, oh, look at all the pretty colors. No one gives a crap about that. <laughs> yeah. So basically the thought with that is you need to explain what you're showing to somebody. I could walk into work and be like, here are these graphs, Joe. And you're going to look at these and be like, well, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. It's all about how you present that is the, I was at a conference and they said, you're going to walk into an NHL GM or coach's office. And if you hand him a stack of graphs and charts, he's going to go, I don't give a shit about any of this. What does it mean? Present it in a way that is emphatic to them is that your team is getting more chances when you do this versus this. So if I want Tyler to out there, here's what he's doing. Well, here's where he might be struggling. How can I present this information to somebody? He's doing his best work on these with these matchups. Is he playing better against lower competition? Was he playing great against top line competition? It all depends on what kind of information you want to convey without going too heavy on that. Because if you post too many charts, people are going to kind of lose the plot. So sometimes it's better to pick the ones that best represent your point and then expand on that in your text afterwards. Do you think sometimes with all the analytics that are built up in these departments, you know, they say like, we have a hockey analytics department. Do you think sometimes coaches buy too much into the analytics of the game? Or do you think that, you know, obviously like, take Claude Julian, for example, do you think he's good enough at separating like, okay, maybe analytically this player may not be the strongest in that category, but I know what I could get out of them. Like, do you think they overthink it? Do you think that you, you know, I guess is what I'm. I don't think coaches are on the bench going, well, I know he had seven shot attempts four, and then three again. Mm -hmm. I think they look at it and go, he's giving up chances when he's on the ice. I'm seeing the play mm -hmm. is mostly an R end. And they look at that and go, that's bad the data that they might be seeing in a hockey analytics department or up top in uh, mm -hmm. video review is going to confirm that. And you review that after the mm -hmm. game, it's all about marrying what you're seeing on the ice with what kind of data you're getting from uh, websites or from your scouting staff is that to confirm, is this what I'm seeing or is this actually what I'm not seeing? Cause um, let's take, for example, someone who uh, got a reputation kind of as a slacker, someone like Alex Kovalev who took a night off or didn't look like he's trying that doesn't mean he's not doing good things out there on the ice. And you got to kind of balance between that there. It's a lot of analytics are not a coach isn't going into their office mid game and going, get me my charts. I want to see what's going on. <laughs> They're going to look at certain plays in certain instances where, okay, what is this player doing wrong here? And then they'll call them and be like, we need to work on getting you into this position, or we need you to do this with the puck. Instead, you make little in-game adjustments and then you review everything after that. Um, bus ride home or the next day of practice or in the video sessions, things like that. A lot of the analytics stuff is going to go into the players don't care. The players want to be told where to go, what mm -hmm. to do with the puck coaches right. then have that next level of information beyond that. 
and it's all about marrying that nice little happy friendship there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would I would say especially a guy like Julian and a lot of a lot more old school style coaches. Like the best analytic is the eye test. In my opinion, I'm very old school when it comes to hockey and just sports in general. Like I'll, I'll kind of root it back. I know you said you're a Red Sox fan, but like pulling Blake Snell in that world series game was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in baseball. Like, the eye test told you that that guy was cruising. The analytics might have said otherwise, but you didn't need to look at any numbers to see the guy was fucking dealing that night. I mean, same thing with that would be like Price giving up two goals and then pulling him because of whatever number. Like, you don't know what that looks like. You have to actually see it. And that to me, I, I think I, I don't like that some coaches and some organizations and like maybe, maybe even some analysts or, or writers favor numbers so much to the point where it's like, hey, man what did you see? And why don't you just tell me about that? Because I kind of, I'm a little more interested in that. Cause I, I even said it on the, on the post game last night, I've crossing swords talking yeah. about the Sabres Rangers. Yep. Tabby said something about Corsi. Oh dude, I've been watching hockey 28 years. I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> no idea. It, it, it's a very interesting thing is that I agree. It's like, I, I'll be watching a game and I'll go, I think this player's having an awful game because I saw them do this. And then the numbers are wrong. Cause sometimes they don't line up. That's just life as it is. And like you said, sometimes you have to know how to interpret that. Yeah, your things might be saying this, but guess what? Sometimes a player's on a heater. Sure, he might be giving up 10 shot attempts at the other end and scoring and getting only three at the other end, but if two out of the three are goals at the other end, who and the goalie's hot at the other end and your end, it all, you know, washes out. It's such a it's a mystery in trying to get everything on the same page because the eye test is important. Sometimes you see a player just doesn't have it on a given night or isn't doing the right things on a given night. Even if the numbers say otherwise maybe they're just not having it. And then some nights a guy is feeling it and he's scoring on every other shot. He's got a four goal night. He's got six points and everybody's happy. And he had 20% possession of the puck. You still won in the end of it. So it's, it's such a complicated thing because you do want to see what they're doing on the ice and why that's important. But you also want to see, is this just a one-off fluke night or they have a greater trend that I can see if they're playing with this person and they're playing well, but when I move them with this person, they're not. You use that to make your team better in the end of it. It doesn't always have to be a, well, this micromanaged system. It can be a general broad thing that he plays better with this person because of X reason. We'll right. go ahead and do that. Right, right. Right. That and that's that exactly like what you're saying. That's kind of one of the thoughts I, I always kind of revert back to like why I always say I like the eye test. Because there's so many different variables where it plays like so you could say so oh, so and so hasn't scored in three games. It's like, yeah, but he's got all these great shots off. He's had a lot of great opportunities. He ran into Vasileski, Hellebuck, and price three games in a row. Like what the analytics in that is like it's not gonna tell you like what the guy just faced three of the best goaltenders ever. In a, in a row like what do you what do you want him to do or the same thing like it's things you can't explain like taylor hall lately he's got more pipes than home depot he hits the place post every five seconds but th- does that mean he's playing poorly no he just hasn't for some reason the puck just hasn't found the net call it puck luck i don't think there's an analytic for puck luck but taylor hall's just hitting the post that's just that's just what's happening it's crazy well, and it's funny because when you talk about analytics, if you look at like Boston Red Sox, great, amazing knuckleball catcher, Doug Marabelli, like every time he stepped up to the plate, he hit a home run. Like in the games he played, if you went back and looked at his stats, they're like, yeah, you're going to go catch Tim Wakefield tonight. And he hit a bomb. But then like the rest of his career was just crap. But this guy once every three games, like or four games or five starts, he hit a bomb. It's crazy. Like sometimes it's just true luck. Like you said sports are this weird 
mess of chaos that you can't always predict things. Like you said, sometimes the team gets goalied in the playoffs, like Montreal playing uh, Philadelphia last year. They were the better team across six games, got beat by a goal who got hot for two starts at the right time. Simple as that. They didn't do anything wrong. They were playing well. You just chalk it up to, it just wasn't our day. There's nothing analytical that you can find in that. You can see we did all these things right. We were getting shots. We were getting dangerous chances. They were and getting scoring chances. Keep doing that. Don't change that because you got goalied in the game. You can have analytics tell you to do or do not or not do something at the same time. Sometimes it's just you have a bad game. Your stick snaps on a breakaway. You hit three pice in a game. You whiff in the shootout. Sometimes shit happens. It's as simple as that. That's sports at its core. Sometimes shit happens. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. You're never going to know. That I love, I, and especially too, like when you get there's this one one situation that I, I think of describes kind of what you're driving at, like perfectly to me. When it, I'll relate it to the to the Habs, especially because obviously you're here, and I'll bring it into the rain. I think it was 2017. It was one of the overtime games against the Habs and the Rangers, and literally both teams. You got Lundqvist in one crease, and you got Carey Price in the other, and both teams in the span of an overtime got like 10 good looks in like two minutes. And it's just like every single one of those shots was incredible, but you just had two of the best goaltenders of all time playing some of the best hockey they've ever played in their lives. I don't even know how to explain what just happened, but I know the numbers aren't going to tell the true story because price was on his head and so was Lundqvist. And it was insane. You know what I mean? It's like, there's so many different variables when it comes to all this stuff. And it's like, I wish there was like another way to explain it other than, you know what? You just got to watch it. I don't know. <laughs> when, when Scott said, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. It reminded me of like the race car driver that was at the podium where it was like, how's life going? Sometimes it's shit. Sometimes it's bad. Like that's what it reminded me of. And it, I'm sorry. It just it, like, it, it perfectly depicted exactly what we were talking about. Here. And that's exactly it. Sometimes you have two goalies who are fucking amazing and, and <laughs> things are great. And it's like, you know what? Everyone gave up like 30 good scoring chances in this game. Guess what? It happens that mm-hmm. sometimes you play a game where you just throw everything out the window. And most, at the end of the day, most teams care about one thing. Is there a W in the win column or not? Like mm-hmm. that's all that really matters to them at the end of the day. And then you go and you fix things in practice and, if you tell a player, hey, I need you to try and shoot more from between the hash marks, you're generating high danger chances, but you're saying it in a way that makes sense to them. So much of the language gets muddled across there that you could say, yeah, get more shots on that. Okay, cool. That's baseline analytics that you're getting shot attempts like that. It's, there's this weird miscommunication across things that even a lot of times when people are speaking about analytics, they don't realize it at all, honestly. I I, I I love that I like it's crazy to me that I just brought that up because now I'm thinking about like because you guys you well everybody in this group you can relate the Eastern Conference the last like five ten years the goaltending that we've had to deal with in the playoffs has just been absolutely insane. I wouldn't know we haven't been there. In well, you, years. you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, John, for rubbing really that one in know. there for you. Me. Wouldn't so know. the three of us. <laughs> but well, just I, well, what I mean is to watch because you follow, you still follow Eastern Conference. Like you got Carey Price in Montreal, you had Henry Glunkers in New York, you had Tuca in Boston, you had Hopi in Washington. It's like, dude, does this end? This is insane. Uh, uh, Varlamov. Well, Tim Varley, Varley. <laughs> I mean, even now, even now in, in the East, you got uh, Carter Hart, Igor Sisterson, Carter Hart, and you know, with the Bruins now in the mix in the East, it's Tuca and well, that window's when, closing. We've discussed this. 
<laughs> Still, the competition for the goalies in the East is no joke. And like Mackenzie Black we, we, was even good. We said this yeah. not. To, I think. I think I said this on the last Crossing Swords pod uh, that the Mass Mutual East Division, my God, um, is Murderers Row this year in in the NHL. It is it's one of so the bad. toughest divisions, and it's going to be a shame that two, maybe three, really good teams don't make the playoffs because of this new format. It's going to be nuts. I hate it. Speaking of that, Not. Scott, I got two questions for you going forward for this year. Where do the Canadians finish in their division? Uh, top two. I think it's going to be between them and Toronto for the top spot in the north. Uh, Toronto depends on how well Frederick Anderson decides to stop the puck this year and if anyone besides their big four can do anything on offense. And for Montreal, it's stay healthy and keep your depth rolling because no one else in the north division can match that right now. It's not elite, but it's very, very good. And most teams' bottom sixes are can't match up to having two twenty goal scorers on your fourth line right now. No, I mean that's that's ridiculous. You guys are doing that strategically. Meanwhile, you got Kruger or whoever else in Buffalo is like punishing Jeff Skinner, sorry? paying him like seven million dollars a year or whatever <laughs> to be on the fourth line. Did you want to talk about the Sabres? You have to go through me first. No, that's <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> scary good. How much is how much is Jeff Skinner making a year? Nine million dollars. And I what know, line is he playing on right now? I know, dude. He is. I got this book near me. Every oh, time Skinner's brought book. up. He is a badass, <laughs> and he's playing on the fourth line, and I don't understand. Just put him on the third line. Just put him on the third line. I'd be happy if you put him on the third line. I'm, it, it's – if you look at stats too, like his, his high-quality chances, like he at one point – I have to look at the stats again. He was fifth in the league. He was oh fifth in the league. He was in company, top five, with like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and high-quality scoring chances on the fourth line. Imagine if he was playing on the top two lines. I mean – <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's making the second most money on that team, second to only Jack Eichel, right? Oh, uh, you mean Jesus? Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is why you don't pay off of career years. You, this is. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. <laughs> I I love you, buddy. But I look the minute the Sabres signed that contract, I went oh. He went ooh. And then he and then he saw me at the beer aisle at 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 uh, at the store and was like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, not good. I'm gonna take this 24 case of beer home, uh, 24 it's, pack home, and just just down my sorrows because this is why you don't pay off of career seasons and use everything. Unfortunately, the Sabres don't have anything in that argument. Where Skinner goes, I scored 40 goals last year playing with Jack Eichel. Okay, so what happens if I don't play with Jack Eichel? Well. We're going to put you on the fourth line. You're going to make $9 million and everybody's going to be mad. Okay. And break. He's making, he's making $1 million less than Jack freaking Michael. With Curtis laser, taser, phaser, whatever you want to call Curtis Lazar. Literally like it's insane. You guys are paying. I'm looking at it now because I had to. You guys are paying Kyle Oposo six million dollars okay, well, a year. Thing, but the thing, the thing with the Kyle, real quick, the thing with the Kyle Oposo deal. Oh, when we, a nerf. No, no, the thing with the Kyle Oposo deal was he was the number two prize that summer when they missed out on Stamkos. Stamkos was toying with teams left and right. Fine, whatever. Go where you want to go. It's fine. But at the end of the day, they got the second best player on the market that year. The fact that the concussions I think derailed his career, and the fact that he was a little thick. For a, for a hockey player, you know, uh-huh. Tim Murray stuck the Sabres with his contract now. It's not my fault. It's not Kevin Adams' fault. The Sabres can't get rid of him. What team's going to take his contract? The Senators aren't taking it. Montreal might. No, I'm just kidding. They won't. So, like, you're stuck with him. But he's on your fourth line. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
And, and well, listen, I mean, he's making more money than your guys' best player right now. Risto. Oh, <laughs> I, I, right? And that's the other thing. Oh, God. I, see, we could have a whole podcast on Conzi's downfalls. Like, Tickets to My Downfall by Machine Gun Kelly. We should just call myself Machine Gun Conzi and just give me that album because this hockey team is going to be the ticket to my downfall this year. Oh, geez. Tickets to The Rocket. I'm going to shove Leo Komarov and send him to the moon and get him out of here. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was my rant for you guys. Sorry. No, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that one of my questions I really wanted to ask Scott going forward was – resulted in me being on cap friendly making you upset uh so that's that's fun that's go really fun me next time you want to talk about my team don uh, well listen i'll we'll talk about it all night i don't care um and the other thing i want to ask you so tyler Foley right now number one on the team points does this keep up or do you think somebody else you see you got an eye on somebody that might be maybe the eye test is leading to a bigger analytical year for somebody one of Nick Suzuki or Thomas Tatar will lead the Habs and scoring Tyler Toffoli will not be far behind either. I only say Suzuki, he's getting top power play minutes. Buzzing out he's, there. He's on that second line with Anderson and Drewan, and they are clicking and making things happen. It's only a matter of time. Toffoli might still be the top three in the team in scoring. I just think uh, Suzuki's going to be there, uh, is going to be up there longer just because of the amount of ice time he gets and because he's one of my favorite people to watch in hockey right now. He does all these little sly things so, so well. He put an oiler into the end boards with a deke, and it was one of the funniest goddamn things I've seen. That was in my wild. Life. It was insane. Brutal. Man. Wild, Toby. He, said, he sent Dominic said, Cahoon to the Shadow Realm, and it was so, so good to watch in slow motion. It's, he's amazing for a kid that he's, what, 21, 22 years old? Like, just so good. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, what, 21? He's got three years under his belt now. This is his third year, I should say. Um, no, nah, I mean, do any, I think he only played, he only played, he didn't play a lot last year, right? I want to say he didn't play the whole season. No, he oh, started the season on the fourth line because Claude Julian it's like, oh, well, I got to work him in, got to trust him, got to trust him. And everyone's like, Claude Julian's not playing the kids. And it's like, would you <laughs> shut up and trust what he's doing? And then by the playoffs, Nick Suzuki was incredible. And he was uh, top on the team in scoring. He and Drew Ann tied for the lead in scoring in the playoffs. It's like, yeah, he brought him along slowly. He didn't just rush him into situations. Like when they needed to defend a lead, he went to his vets because that's what smart coaches do. It turned out pretty well. Nick Suzuki is a 1B center right now in the NHL. He's 21 years old, and it's pretty damn good to have be able to say that for once. Canadians are a young team. I can't believe this. <laughs> oh, you know what, though? Habs fans are probably going, they should be older. Because there's always, they'll always find something wrong. Sorry, Scott. They will always find something. They should be older. There is there is a writer in Montreal that, regardless of how the team is doing one way or the other, will always find the negative in a team. They started the season well, and he went, wow, I have nothing to complain about. Carey Price had one bad game in Vancouver, and he went, is Carey Price holding the Canadians back? And I went, <laughs> literally, fuck your own face. Um, I don't have time for this. Which it, is, been, is not even the, – the Canucks are not playing great, but as far as offensive weapons on that team, they have a lot. So – to say they if they play if he had a horrible game against Ottawa, yeah, I understand. But against Vancouver, I mean, come on, smoked Ottawa the other night. Vancouver did seven to one. This was I'm the saying. worst game I've ever seen by Matt Murray in in my like existence of watching hockey. It was like the worst goaltending performance I've seen. And I've seen <laughs> I've seen I've seen a lot of bad goaltenders. Anders Nielsen. I mean, I could go on a whole tear of, of terrible goaltending. You have two right now. Carter, hey, Elinus Allmark, leave him alone. <laughs> Would you, wait, they left him in for all seven goals? 
no, he got pulled at some point, but oh, the Canucks okay. were firing on all cylinders. So you're right. Absolutely. I was going to say they didn't pull him. That's just, that's just mean. But, but Scott, no, but- find a way to age those players in Montreal. Yes. Make them get older. Reverse Benjamin Button syndrome. Let's go. <laughs> I will do my best. I can't promise much of anything. I'm not a scientist, unfortunately. <laughs> Jesus. Well, hey, what can you do? Um, I mean, I don't know, man. I feel like we've catched you for a while. Anybody else got anything for Scott here? You ain't got Need nothing. Nick Suzuki to really pick it up on the fantasy oh, here. I got him. Scott, how'd your sauce turn out, man? Yeah, can't you want to ask about sauce? And this is all I you didn't even ask him. Oh my God. Aye, 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 Take aye. it away, Gabagool. I was going to say it was great. It was a nice, sweet, homemade red sauce. Some San Marzano tomatoes, nice blended up there. Some fresh homemade meatballs, a couple of eggs in the sauce over some spaghetti, little Italian bread and some butter. Perfect, did, man. Did you leave a bay leaf in or did you take it out? Do I look like an amateur? Oh! All right. <laughs> so you took it out? No. You, I, right in the bottom, when I spiced everything. You pushed it down? Of, you have to a little bit in. in the bottom with the it's onions and the garlic and the oil there, and then boom, got all those tomatoes know. and everything in there, I man. mean, you do what you want to do with it, I guess. I don't it's know. It's good luck. I was going to say. that's what's for dinner. Next week, sweet Italian sausage, a little bit of dry red wine in that sauce. Going to get some nice, uh, nice thick spaghetti. So, gonna be so great. Is Scott auditioning for the real talk, like real talk cooking show that we're gonna have called? Yes, this this is Gaba, me convincing Gaba my Gool. girlfriend that I know how to cook properly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, analytics show anything. It's that Scott can put up a good pot of sauce. There it is. My sauce per sixty is off the friggin' charts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, this is great. Oh, oh man. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, Kanzi, you got anything? No, Scott, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I haven't been home in a while, but the next time I make my way up there, we'll definitely uh, find some type of campfire to sit around and have a few uh, real cold ones because I miss you, buddy. Thanks for coming too, on the dude. show. With us, and buddy. everything's opening back up again, so I'm going to be uh, popping in and out of the local breweries, supporting some local yeah. places. Uh, that's actually what this is. This is a local pizza pop-up. They pop in at all the breweries over the weekend. Let me tell you, hot honey on pizza is good, good stuff. Oh. Oh, it is. Wow. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. No kidding. I guess I don't I never even heard of that. Well, yeah, well, you live a little spicy cup of pepperoni. Just drizzle a little hot honey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, not to interrupt you, Scott, but Kanzi, what is that supposed to be? Well, I mean, you guys only know tomato pies. You guys don't know, you know, what cheese is. You guys you just... Gonna... It's not even true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not deep dish pizza, which isn't pizza. It's, you know... You guys yeah, put sauce on bread and go pie. here for $23.99. No, that's oh, oh, oh. No, no, no. Tomato, tomato pie, pie, tomato pie and pizza are two different things. They're not the same. Oh, listen, one. tomato pie, you just cut it up and you kind of eat it. Listen, pizza is, you know, nice, hot, or rewarming. <laughs> listen, R- Rochester doing. boys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? All right, stick to your garbage plates. We'll handle the pizza down here. First of all, Buffalo pizza is better than New York style pizza. Out Don't of your mind. Pizza. Okay, I'll fight you. <laughs> automatically wait 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 what Take is buffalo style pizza what is this uh curled up pepperoni hello oh the, 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 the nipperonis dude picasso's like you know what the picasso's was you dank I'll, I'll give you that bro you can sleep outside next time you come here cats okay how's that sound <laughs> okay so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. serious question con since we're talking pizza and you okay. said scott said deep dish pizza yes isn't a deep dish pizza more of a casserole than a pizza <laughs> Yes, you can. Only, I can only. I, I thought it was a crock pot. One, one spice. Only one spice. <laughs> is it not like a crock pot thing? What? No. Well, you can make deep it dish? in a crock pot. You can make oh, it in a crock pot, but it's like it's like a deep dish, and there's just like 
I don't know how to explain. You just got to Google it, man. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't, don't Google it because then you'll never stop seeing deep dish pizza ads. Use DuckDuckGo. That's what you got to okay. do. <laughs> or I'll just go to Chicago again. Do you have an Uno's near you? You can go to Uno's. We don't have Uno's. No, okay. Well, there's an Uno's oh. in Worcester. I'm not driving all the way out there. Martha Luther King Boulevard. How far is it of a drive is it? Martha like, Luther? It's like an hour and a half. Yeah, Martha. Yeah, he, he was, uh, she was on the cooking show with Snoop Dogg. So, oh, I'm sorry. That was a... Uh, he said Martha Luther. Yeah, Martha, Martha, Martha Luther Stewart. <laughs> so... This 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 took a turn. I love this. This was probably it. one of the hey, best. If I, want, shows if I wanted done. to eat pizza with a fork and knife, I'll go for deep dish. But I'll I'll stick to the thin crust. Oh jeez. All right. Well, I think that's enough for us, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Scott, we'll probably chat with you when we stop recording just to catch up a little bit. But uh, if nobody else has got anything, this is real talk as always. Uh, brought to you by Just Dish and the boys and everybody else that we shout out on the reg. Uh, we will see you guys next episode. If you're talking, keep it real, kiddos.